0: and thanks for listening. If we haven't met, my name is Eric Bonkowski, and I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. And you know, as a pastor, I pay particular attention through my life of words and phrases that seem to resonate with people and bring comfort to them. And one of those phrases is a simple phrase, I am with you. It's a powerful phrase, some of the most powerful words that another person can speak to us. I am with you. We've been talking about that um, here during Advent at City Church, this idea that God is with us, and I've been beginning to hear some stories from the lives of people in this church of how that idea is resonant. I heard one story about a woman who suffered From depression for years and years. And she was afraid of going to church and being around so many people. But she would hear in her head the voice of Jesus saying, I am with you. And she could go to church. Heard a story of another woman who, at the very beginning of COVID, suffered a miscarriage in her pregnancy, and she had she faced going to a hospital have the miscarriage dealt with surgically. She couldn't go with anyone else, not even her husband. And then the day of that hospital visit, her grandmother called out of the blue and said, I see you. I love you. I am with you. Powerful words. And we all know that life after the fall is a life filled with heartache and pain. I was listening this week to an interview of A musician named Nick Cave, some of you may be familiar with him, but he said, the common bond that unites all humans is loss. In this side of the fall, that's true. This life is filled with hardship, and so words like, I am with you, pierce deep down into our souls. That's why we're focused on this phrase, God with us, during Advent. And last Sunday, if you were here, I talked about the fact that God is with us from the start. That, hardwired into creation, hardwired into us, is the fact that we are made to be with God and He desires to be with us. But today, we're we're going to turn in the Bible to the place where this promise finds its first full articulation, where God says, I am Emmanuel, God with us. And we're going to see that it comes when it's really hard to believe that to be the case. That's what we're going to talk about. That when, when all hope seems lost, when it seems like pain and grief and hardship, have the final word, God is with us nevertheless. So let's look at this scripture It may be a familiar passage to some of you, but I hope that you'll read it with new eyes today as we work our way through Isaiah chapter 7. These words are printed in the worship guide, or if you have a Bible, open up. I am going to reference a few times Isaiah 8 that's not printed in the worship guide, so you may find it helpful to have a Bible open. Here's God's word for us. It says this, In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear-Jeshub, your son, "'at the end of the conduit of the upper pool "'on the highway to the washer's field, "'and say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear. "'Do not let your hearts faint "'because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands "'at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria "'and the son of Ramalia, "'because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia "'has devised evil against you, saying, "'Let us go up against Judah and terrify it "'and let us conquer it for ourselves.' and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. and within 65 years Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Romalia. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God, let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah." The king of Assyria. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Gracious Father, we ask that you come now by your Spirit and bring these old words, these unfamiliar words alive to us, and help us through these words to see Jesus as a baby born in a manger, but also as our Savior, as the one who proves to us once and for all that God is with us. We pray this In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All right, I realize that Isaiah 7 and these 17 verses, it's a lot, it's confusing, it's a lot of names, it's a lot of places, and it's a history that isn't very um, common to us. It's not common knowledge, so I want to explain a little bit of the context for you, because I think it helps us understand this promise that is lodged in verse 14, where God says, I will give you a sign virgin will conceive and you will name this child emmanuel emmanuel means god with us what is the context that this great promise of scripture comes in well first of all it's a promise that god is with us in the midst of our fear and faithlessness that's what the beginning of this passage is laying out for us fear and faithlessness we see that primarily in this character of ahaz ahaz is the king of judah these are the people who are faithful to god But Ahaz is an unfaithful king. As we meet him in verse 2, it says this, The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. He is afraid. Why is he afraid? Because these two foreign nations with their armies are headed to his land. He's going to be invaded. They're going to be overthrown. They stand no chance against Syria and Israel or Ephraim as they're coming against Judah. Ahaz is afraid. That's the context where he gets this promise. And he's, why is he afraid? He's afraid because of these outside threats that are coming against God's people. But it's not just that Ahaz is afraid. He also is faithless. Ahaz was a terrible king. We don't see much of the picture of it here in Isaiah, but what we have in scripture is another book, Second Kings. And in Second Kings chapter 8, uh, sorry, uh, chapter 16, we get a lot of detail about Ahaz. And it's not pretty. Let me read just one verse as it describes Ahaz. It says this, He did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God, as his father David had done, but he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. He even burned his own son as an offering. Ahaz was a wicked king. He didn't obey God. He sent bribes to foreign countries because he was so scared that he was going to be attacked by other nations that he sent bribes to Assyria and said, come and protect my people. He went down and he took a tour of Assyria and he saw all of the false gods that they worshipped and their idols and the altars that they built these idols upon. And he went back home and he began to tear down the altars to the true God and in their place he put up false altars. He was faithless to his core he was wicked you see his problem was not just outside threats but it was his inward his inside disbelief and so the promise of emmanuel comes to ahaz in the midst of his fear and his faithlessness and the promise of god with us comes to you in the same place in the midst of your fear In the midst of your faithlessness, still, the promise of God says, I am with you. Where is it for you? Where is your fear? Is it circumstances? Is it other people? Where is your unbelief? Where the things that God has called you to walk in, that you turn your back against them? You see, God, despite Ahaz's fear and faithlessness, he sends Isaiah the prophet to him. And back in Isaiah chapter seven and verse three, it says this, go out to meet Ahaz and say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, do not let your heart be faint. God is offering this promise in order to encourage him. His whose heart was shaking like a leaf is told, do not be afraid by Isaiah. He's given this great promise. Isaiah says, All the things you fear won't come to pass. God is in control. Remember that God is with you. And then to to, uh, top it all off, we come to verse 7. God is so intent on Ahaz getting this message that he says to Ahaz, Ask for a sign. You want proof of my goodness? Ask for it and I'll do it for you. And how does Ahaz respond? Do you remember? with some uh, false piety. Oh, I'm too good for a sign. Why should I ask you for a sign, God? I don't want to put you to the test. God has offered this through the prophet Isaiah. He is begging that Ahaz would have faith in him and look for proof. And he denies it yet again. Denies it yet again. how are we like that you know God recognizes that his people require signs of the promise that encourage him last week if you were here we saw how Jacob in his dark night of the soul was given this promise of God with him through a sign through a dream a dream of a ladder that extended as high as heaven And here God offers the same thing to Ahaz. Ask of a sign, whether as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven, I will give it to you because my character is generous and good, but he rejects it. God is with us in our fear, in our faithlessness. God is with us when the world seems too bad and when we seem too bad. But here's the next thing i want you to notice it's really important about this promise it maybe is something you've never heard even though you've been around church or you've heard this promise of emmanuel before i want you to notice that this promise of god with us is a promise that comes in the context of judgment and this makes it really hard to believe makes it hard to believe that god is with us you see emmanuel comes with this shocking twist that the God who is coming is a God who brings judgment. We see it maybe most clearly in verse 17 of this passage. It says, the Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house, such days have not come since the day Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. What God is promising as he promises Emmanuel is that he is coming in judgment against his own people. Because of their fear, because of their faithlessness, he is coming in judgment. This is important for us to understand. Because as the author and theologian Fleming Rutledge puts it, God will save us from the judgment, but he will not save us without judgment. Part of God's holy character part of his righteousness is coming to the world in judgment against sin and disobedience we have all sorts of ways of distancing ourselves from this truth that the god who is with us is with us in judgment we distance ourselves from it one of the ways we do that especially as it relates to isaiah 7 14 this promise of emmanuel is we try to take god out of the picture right you read that verse again it says therefore the lord himself will give you a sign behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name emmanuel we try to take the miraculous the supernatural out of this prophecy have you ever heard people say oh you know in that verse in isaiah it's not really a virgin the hebrew word there isn't virgin it's just a young woman friends that is not true it's just false it's not good uh, scholarship it's not good interpretation of the bible It's true that there's another technical word in Hebrew for virgin, but it didn't come about until later after Isaiah had written this. And the word that Isaiah uses here that's translated virgin is exactly the right word that you would, that he would use to suggest a miraculous virgin birth. The other thing is that that argument just doesn't make any sense logically because it wouldn't be a sign if a young woman has a baby. That happens all the time. What makes it a sign, what makes it proof of God with us, even in the midst of judgment, is that it was a virgin who conceived. That's the whole point. But there's another way that we uh, try to distance ourselves from this fact that God is with us in judgment. First, we try to take God out of the equation. The other way we do it is we try to take the judgment out of the equation. Let me remove the judgment from it. And and that's what happens a lot of times when we just read from Matthew, right? So Brittany read for us how this Isaiah passage is quoted in Matthew's gospel. A promise of Emmanuel. It sounds so good. And we strip it of its context. We strip it of the context of judgment. Because we don't want Jesus to be associated with that. And that will let us retain sort of this sentimental view of christmas of a baby wrapped in swaddling claws lying in a manger and divorced from any sort of judgment against sin the world's in ours we can't do that though you see the way that prophecy works in the old testament isaiah 7 works this way too is through successive fulfillment there are often two phases of fulfillment when it comes to prophecy there's a short term partial fulfillment and then there's a long term Complete fulfillment. The partial fulfillment of this prophecy in Isaiah 7 comes in Isaiah 8, actually. It comes through a son of the prophet Isaiah. And his name, get this, is Mahir Shalal Hashbaz. It's a great Hebrew name. You want to know what it means? Translated, it means, speed the the spoil and hasten the booty. Not booty like your backside, but like plunder. It's a name that means judgment. It means that destruction is coming, and it's coming fast. And what, that when you read Isaiah 7 side by side with Isaiah 8, what happens is you realize that Emmanuel and Mahir Shalal Hashbaz are equated. They're the same guy. God with us is also speed the spoil, hasten the booty. That would make for one intense Christmas carol, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh, come, oh, come, I ah, hear shall all hachbaz. See if uh, Adam can rewrite a song for that. Right. I'm joking about it, but the point is essential. That the point here is that when God comes, he comes with judgment because he is a holy God. And so this promise that's given to uh, Ahaz, that comes to us in Isaiah 7, is a promise that's filled with tension. It's the promise that, yes, God is with us, and he comes with judgment. What do we do with that? And and where we're left at the end of um, Isaiah 7 and into chapter 8 is that, uh, kind of this big question mark over this promise. God with us? Question mark? Is he Because the the promise that I want to hold on to doesn't have the judgment piece in it. It's just warm and cuddly and kind. So I mentioned this successive fulfillment, right? Short term here in Isaiah, the long term fulfillment of this promise, you know, comes in Jesus. That's what Matthew chapter 2 is all about. Chapter 1, sorry, is all about. This promise of Emmanuel fulfilled in Jesus. But, get this, maybe you've never thought about this before. When Jesus comes to the world, as he's born in human skin, he comes in judgment too. Imagine for a second that you were Joseph, a first century carpenter. Imagine what he was going through when the woman that he was engaged to suddenly showed up pregnant. He was filled with shame and it was a scandal. And then he's told that this is to fill a prophecy of Emmanuel. What what did he know about the prophecy of Emmanuel? He knew from Isaiah that it was coming in judgment. That God was going to, to shake Israel and his own people until there was nothing left. That's a strange promise that he's given. What's the point of all this? Why have I spent so much time digging into the history of Isaiah 7 and how that would translate to Joseph? Because I think where it's leading us all is first to see that God is with us in our fear and in our faithlessness, that God is with us in judgment. But the final turn is that God is with us nevertheless. But to get there, we have to understand how Jesus comes. How Jesus is God with us. Friends, as sinful people in a sinful world, the promise of God's, God with us is always bad news. Because he's a completely good God. He is a holy God. He cannot abide by our sin or the sinfulness of this world. He must come in righteous judgment against us. There has to be more to the story. You know this to be true. Any of you, think about the fear that you feel when you are caught doing something wrong. And you know it. You cheated on that test. You lied to your boss at work and now they found out. And a person comes and they are near to you and you are in their presence. And what do you feel? Fear. At the righteous judgment that you deserve. But there is still deeper magic to the gospel that makes it good news, that turns it into God is with us nevertheless. And it's because that Jesus comes in judgment and then he bears the judgment for us. It's not who Jesus is as that infant lying in in a manger in a stable outside of Bethlehem. It's who Jesus will become as he goes to the cross, as he hangs there judged in your place and in my place. He is with us in judgment, because he takes the judgment on himself. He bears the judgment for you and me. That's what makes Jesus the good news of God with us. Otherwise, it would be utterly bad news. And there's a connection here back to, remember the sign that God offered to Ahaz? It said, ask for a sign, whether it be as high as the heavens or as deep as Sheol and in christ we see that sign we see that proof of god's presence fulfilled how well christ who died on the cross and as we're told descended into hell for our sake and in christ who was raised from the dead and then ascended into the highest heaven and sits at the right hand of god the father almighty You see, he's fulfilling the sign that God offered and Ahaz rejected. He has gone to the depths of hell for you. He has been raised to the heights of heaven for you. Why? So that you will believe God is with us nevertheless. Everything in our lives conspires to make us doubt that truth. The loss that we've suffered, the grief that we feel, the loneliness that we experience always banging on this little promise god is with us it turns into a question mark it shakes like a leaf and even in isaiah the prophet is speaking this promise to a people who are under siege who have people who have been promised destruction and it's as though he says this promise god is with us can we believe that and you're in the exact same position and joseph was in that position god is with me My wife might have cheated on me. She's pregnant and not from me. What is going on here? God is with us. This quivering question mark of a promise that stays that way until, until the wonder of the resurrection of Jesus Christ turns that quivering question mark into an exclamation point. Where we as God's people can say, full throated, confidently, with heads held high, God is with us nevertheless. The world comes in darkness. We know troubles outside and we know troubles inside, but God is with us nevertheless. That's the promise of Emmanuel. It moves through judgment, it's a scary path. But it leads us to a confident promise that was fulfilled by Christ. God's kept promise, not quivering, not shaking like a leaf, hanging on the end of a branch and fall, but the confidence to say, God is with us nevertheless. So what, what do we do? Friends, we have to become people who are secure in this promise for ourselves and for others. I said last week that uh, uh, people who know God is with us, we must be with other people. So we must become people who repeat this promise to ourselves and to others. Even when it's hard to believe, especially when it's hard to believe. That's what Isaiah is teaching us. That's what Joseph is teaching us. That is what God is teaching us. God is with us, even when it's most hard for you to believe. I think that many of us have gotten really good at rightly naming the hard things in life. The suffering, the long night, the dark night. It's good and right to name that. And we must also get good at naming the promise of giving testimony to the resurrection that proves that despite all that, God is with us nevertheless. Whether it's a king surrounded by his enemies, Whether it's a carpenter, full of shame, thinking that his life has ended, or whether it's you, facing the evil of this world, the evil waged against you or the evil that comes out of you, we must repeat this promise. God is with us, nevertheless. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for the final proof of the cross and the resurrection that shows the depths that you go to and the heights that you reach as a God who is with us. Would you forgive all of our fear and our faithlessness? Would you forgive us of the ways that we have tried to scrub your story clean of any judgment and instead help us to appreciate the extremes of your love knowing that it was a love that went through judgment for us and to each other and to the watching world may we become women and men who gladly proclaim God is with us nevertheless we pray this in Jesus name amen